Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word. Father God, thank you so much for, uh, again, the opportunity to be here and to recognize you for who you are. Uh, thank you, God, that we're imperfect people, and yet you love us as we are your own, um, because we have Jesus, and um, that's our only hope. Uh, I pray, Father, that as we open your Word today, that you'll speak to us and that we'll be able to hear, and, and not just hear, but to apply. I pray that you'll take this time and use it for your honor and for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, if you would grab your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let me remind you of where we've been so far. We've been looking at this series called Grow, and bear with us because I think the computer's on the, on the blank the last couple of weeks, but you may have slides up here and you may not. So if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. You remember we started a series called Grow, and it's about discipleship. It's about growing up into Jesus Christ. And we talked about uh, a series through, or began the series through, through Romans chapter 12. Let me remind you of what Romans chapter 12 says. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's kind of interesting that Kyle had no idea, or maybe he did, but um, I didn't know what he was going to say in his meditation, but that's one of those God things, right? He was talking a lot about our mind and, 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 and worshiping with our mind, and that's what Paul says here. He's going to say, again, the same thing in, in Colossians chapter 3 in just a few uh, different words. But he says, don't be conformed to the world be transformed, be metamorpho, if you remember that word, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So if we turn to chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul has the same message to the church in Colossae um, to say to them, right? Be transformed. Be no longer conformed to the world, but be transformed. I don't know what your practice is when you take communion. Um, somebody gets up and gives a communion meditation, and they encourage us in some way, whatever God is, is leading them to do. But once I begin to pray, uh, part of my prayer, for the most part, about 75-80% of the time, is for God to show me what needs to change. So it's very reflective for me. I, I, I think about the cross. I think about what Jesus Christ has done for me. But I... I think about who I am and what I need to change. Does that make sense? Resonate with that? And um, I was thinking there, uh, anger, uh, I need to deal with some anger. Um, uh, pride, I need to deal with some pride. Uh, compassion, I've been praying about compassion for quite some time, right? All these things just began to flow into my mind as I'm thinking about what Jesus has done for us and not just what Jesus has done for us, but he's also exemplified for us to do for one another, right? Does that make sense, right? That's part of what Paul means when, we, when he says to be no longer conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Think differently. I think for most, most people that don't reflect on that, that they just, well, here's the, I want to I encourage you when you're praying before communion, every once in a while, it may not be a, a practice right away, but every once in a while, 
begin to reflect on things that you need to change in your life, right? In other words, it's easy for us to go through a prayer, and at the end we say, and God forgive me for the sins that I committed, and leave it at that. But if you just listen, I really believe the Holy Spirit will teach you, will speak to you in that small, still voice, and will tell you about things you need to change, right? Whether it's whatever it happens to be, okay? This renewing of your mind, right? So with that in mind, let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Again, remember Paul is talking to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers. This would make no sense to unbelievers. But for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who've been baptized into Christ, for those of us who've associated ourselves with Jesus Christ and his righteousness, something has to give. Something has to change, right? So here's what he says. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, church, God's wrath is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See what he's talking about, right? In Romans chapter 12, he says, Be no longer conformed, but be transformed. Here in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 9, he says, put off the old self. Same message, different words, right? Put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul would say, be transformed, be different. So let me ask you to consider this morning, are you different? Are you different from when you were before you met Jesus Christ? Now, for those of you who are still seeking, for those of us who have have not met Christ yet, for those of us who are still seeking, right? I'm glad you're here, but a lot of what I say may or may not make sense to you, right? Depending on where you're at on your spiritual journey. For those of us who have met Jesus, for those of us who've associated ourselves with Jesus Christ, for those of us who have, and Paul would say, been baptized into Jesus Christ. One of the things that Paul is uh, really excited about, for those in Christ, he uses that phrase over and over and over again, right? It's not just about coming to church. We've talked about that many times before. It's not about being religious. Ask the Pharisees about that. Religious, religion didn't get them very far, right? Jesus, in fact, throughout the Gospels, goes and chastises the Pharisees, the religious people, over and over and over again because they're all about the law, but they miss the grace. They miss the Spirit, right? And so Paul would separate himself from even saying religion is being those in Christ. So what does it mean, Paul, for those to be in Christ? He says, beginning in verse 1, if, that's a big word, right? If, if then you have been raised with Christ. What's he talking about? 
You remember in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul gives the illustration of a burial, right? Some of you are going through Romans now, I think, in your Sunday school class. Larry's leading a group through, through Romans. And eventually you'll get to Romans chapter 6, where it says, you've been buried with Christ in baptism. Dead person, right? You bury the dead. You've been buried with Christ in baptism, of course, spiritually. You've been risen to walk in a newness of life. You remember that, right? We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. This is what Paul means by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's no longer that old person that is, that is it's dying, right? It's dead, right? If you come to meet Jesus, there's something that takes place spiritually within you, right? The Holy Spirit moves in, takes up residence, and as Paul says, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Everybody good, right? You resonating with me? Everybody good, right? But he says, if you've been raised... Why would he say that to the church in Colossae? One of the things about spirituality, I think, that's really, really interesting is we can gather with people. Um, we can share communion with people. Um, we can think that we're good with God, if that makes any sense to you. We can think that we... Um, have walked the aisle, we've said a few prayers, we've gotten into the baptistry, we've done a few good things for people, whether it's service or whatever the case may be. Maybe we're, on, maybe we're up here leading worship. Maybe we're serving by passing offering plates or the communion trays. Maybe we're preaching. But there's a lot of different ways that we can gather and still not be in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can get in the baptistry and get wet and still not be in Christ. Make sense? right? You can say all the prayers in the world and still not be in Christ. So what is Paul talking about by being in Christ? To the church in Galatia, you remember what he says. He says this fruit of the Spirit thing, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? And he gives another illustration, another list of things that are contrary to these things that he's just talked about about living by the Spirit. Anybody remember that? Yes? No? Maybe so? Right? Yes, you remember that? Okay. So are you living by way of the Spirit, or are you living by way of the flesh? Are you living by way of the God, or are you living by way of the world? Right? So when he says, if then, if then, I think it's interesting, because there's a lot of people gathering in a church in Colossae. There's a lot of people gathering in our churches today that may not be in Christ. There may be even one or two, or 30 or 40, or whatever the case may be. There may be people in this room, this very room, who are look good on the outside, but may not be in, in Christ. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just attempting to get you to think about Am I in Christ? Isn't that one of the most important questions you'll ever face in your life? I think so. I think so. And I think it's true in Paul's day as well. So when he writes to the church, let's not assume that everybody is just completely in when he writes about, for those of you who've been raised with Christ. Because you have no option now. You have to live, you have to live differently. If you've been raised with Christ, Here's what he wants you to do. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ, then what, Paul? Then here's what you do. Number one, you seek things that are above. What does he mean to seek things that are above? 
Again, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. So we associate ourselves with not only Christ and his righteousness, we also associate ourselves with Christ and his priorities. Right? So Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he would say things like, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about, don't worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Don't worry about your possessions. Don't worry about all this other stuff that the world tries to convince you is success. But if you seek first the kingdom of God, guess what? All these other things will take place. Right? Right? I've had conversations with many people in 19, 20 years of ministry uh, about giving. And uh, it's always kind of humorous to me. Most of the time, these aren't new believers. Most of the time, these people have been around the church for a long time. And they'll come to me or we'll have a conversation and it's about giving and they'll say, you know what, I, I've always heard it, but I never really did it. Uh, we chose, and I'm thinking about a couple of people, a couple of men specifically, and, and the conversation is, is pretty common. They would say, we chose, my wife and I chose, to give the first 10%. Not knowing that we were going to have enough money at the end of the month. And guess what God did? You guys follow what I'm saying? Right? And so there's this, and these people have been around the church for a long time. They've heard that over and over and over again. They probably heard every meditation in a different way that you've heard, right? But we still, we still don't put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, right? We still, we, we talked this morning in our Bible study about this guy who goes to Jesus, and, and he's the most honest guy as far as I'm concerned in Scripture, that he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? We all live that way, especially when it comes to our money and our bills. We know we've got to have this much money at the end of the month, and so we hold out, and, and I'm talking generally, of course, we hold out, and if, we, and if God has enough money at the end of the month, then he gets that money. That's a sad case of affairs, right? So if we really believe what we say we believe, we ought to give the first fruits, right? May follow? That's where your money should come. That's where you're worshiping, really, with your money. It's not your money, it's God's money. You follow? Right? So Jesus would say, seek first the kingdom of God, even with your money. Even with your possessions, even with everything, even with your time, everything that you have, if you seek God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, guess what happens? Everything else just kind of falls into place. Some of you may have had conversation with people like that before. Some of you may have been those people that have had those conversations. And I, I think God is gracious and He teaches us over and over and over again. But if we give the first fruits, then, then look what God, if you're not doing that, let me encourage you to do that. Because it's a great feeling to know that if you're not holding back from God, and I'm not talking about health and wealth, that's not what I'm talking about. You don't give to get, in other words. Your motivation is not to get. Your motivation is, it's not mine anyway. You follow? Okay, That's a sign of worship. Okay, So Jesus would say, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And he would go on to say in Matthew chapter 6, he would say, um, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I tell you. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you. And some of you know what I'm talking about, right? He's saying, all these, this law that you've heard about, that's, that's good, but you don't completely understand it, and let me show you what it really means. The way Jesus could do that was he was not just a powerful teacher, one who taught with authority. He is God himself. Everybody understand, right? So when Paul uses these words, if you are in Christ, that is a huge huge deal. If you've associated yourself with Christ, if you've not only received him as Savior, 
right? We all need to receive him as Savior. We all don't want to go to hell, right? We all want to spend eternity with God. If you've received him as Savior, if you've associated yourself with his death on the cross, that's great. But have you made him the Lord of your life? You hear the difference, right? He can be your Savior, but not be your Lord. That's where, I think, a lot of us live. Uh, and I say a lot of us, I'm talking about not just people in this room, I'm talking about people in general. We live in such a consumeristic world that we want to receive something for free or as cheap as we can get it, right? I.e. salvation. It's this part about following Jesus to death. It's this part about being a follower of Jesus. It's this part about growing up from a babe in Christ to maturity. That's what we call discipleship. That's the part that takes more work. That's the part that Jesus, and then eventually Paul, gets to when he says, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Think, what, think about what happens with Paul. We, we talked about this, I think, last week. Saul, who is responsible for all these killings, right, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then what happens? He is night and day. He is different. Saul becomes Paul. Betrayer of people becomes lover of people. Follower of the law becomes follower of Jesus. Everybody understand, right? He's no longer that old man. He's put that stuff away. And he could say, for those of you who have been in Christ, let's not minimize that little word, if. Because no matter how many times we come to church, no many how many times we take communion, no matter how many times we get in the baptistry and get wet, the question is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ, right? Seek the things that are above. What are you looking for? What, what are you seeking after, right? We, we talk about tithing. Tithing is not just about money. It's about time. It's about your talent. It's about your possessions, right? Um, seek these things that are above. He goes on verse 2 to say, now set your mind on things that are above. What does it mean to set your mind, Paul? You know, Paul, if you look at through the book of Acts, Paul spent a lot of time on, on the ocean, right? On the, on the sea. And he was shipwrecked three times, at least three times that we know of. Maybe more, maybe four or five. But he was shipwrecked at least three times. Paul would have had a very keen um, knowledge about navigation. Okay? And this idea of setting your mind is something from navigation, right? It's, it's this thing, if you've ever worked with a, if you've ever worked with a compass, Right where you where you hold a compass out and and you have this thing that's going to point you to north. Follow, right? And so this idea of this idea of setting your mind is finding your direction, finding where you need to go. Now, what does Paul say your direction is? Seeking things that are above, right? That's what I should be about. No longer doing the things that I used to do, but seeking the things that Jesus has called me to. If you set your Mind, if you, if you re, recalibrate your direction, now what do you do? Now you put lock on it. Now you, now you set it in motion. Now you stay right there, right? Don't drift, off, don't drift off this way. Don't drift off this way. But you set your mind. Have you ever, have you ever um, been so inclined to, to do something that they say, well, just find a, find a place on the wall and focus on that one place while you're trying to keep your balance or whatever? Anybody know what I'm talking about, Right? This is setting your mind. This is focusing on something that is, because if not, you're distracted by all this other stuff, right? 
I think about it at the eye doctor where they say, look at that, look at that right here. And they point that light right there in the corner. Well, they, look, look right here. So you, he can focus on your eyes while you're focusing on something else, right? But the point is, it's a navigational term that means not only do you get to the right point where you're headed in the right direction, but you stay there. Most of us think that getting off track is going from the point we're supposed to be to way over here or to way over here, right? That's not true. If we're, if we're supposed to be headed this way, you know what Satan does? He doesn't do this, or he doesn't get you to do this. You know what he does? He gets you to do this. Just a little bit, right? If you're 10 degrees off with that compass, guess what happens? You end up in the wrong place, right? If you're 20 degrees off, you end up, the, if you're 5 degrees off, you end up in the wrong place. Everybody understand? Now, that may not make sense to you, but if you have GPS, right? Recalculating. Recalculating. Anybody else hear that, right? Recalculating. Or return to the route, or whatever she, whatever she says. Um, that's what it means to set your mind, right? And all too often, church, we uh, get our minds off track, or Satan gets our minds off track, and we don't set our minds. We don't focus in at, at such a, a, a way that, that we're not going to divert one way or the other, right? Setting your minds on things above, right? So get it there. Push lock, right? Your time, your talent, your treasure. I'm going to get up. I'm going to spend time in God's Word. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do what God has called, called me to do. I'm going to love people the way God has told me to love people. I'm going to love by going. That's what He's told me to do. I'm going to do everything that I've set out to do, not just by mouth, not just by words, but by action, right? I'm going to show people what I really, what I really, really believe, right? This only happens if you've been raised, then you set your minds in Christ. Now, one of the things that I think is important for us to understand, and this is a little bit where we get into the weeds. I mentioned to you the weeds a little bit last week. Uh, this is where we get into a little bit of the weeds here in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How many of you are dead? Nobody? Paul says you've died. How many of you are dead? You've been raised, I'll grant you that, but it says you've been, you're dead, right? At least your flesh is dead, that's what he says, right? Here, here's the issue. We read with such a Western mindset, we read with this, this idea of words on a page, right? We see them when Paul says you are dead, do we really believe it? Paul says you are dead, you have died, your life is hidden with Christ. This is what we talk about association. Now, I kind of set you up with that question because, as Kyle just mentioned, yeah, we've been raised, and Paul's going to get to that. He's already talked about it a little bit, right, where he talks about transformation and all those kind of things. But we have died. Our flesh is dead. We have been buried with Christ. The only way to bury somebody is what? They're dead. They're dead. Here's the issue. Paul is talking about something that Paul is talking about something that is already you've died. Not yet. One of the things that Paul talks about specifically in regards to salvation is you have been saved on the cross. You are being saved 
as you're growing up into Christ Jesus, you will be saved when Christ comes back. Everybody understand? You have been saved on the cross, right? Now, do you receive it or not? You are being saved as you're growing up into Christ. Everybody understand that? That's discipleship. That's what we call glorification, right? And sanctification is when you are being saved when Christ Jesus comes back, right? It's past, it's present, it's future. And so when Paul begins in this chapter 3, verse 3, where he says, you have died, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Obviously, he's talking about spiritual things, right? When Christ, who is your life, did you notice that? For Christ, who is your life, well, wait a minute, I thought, I thought my life was this pulse. I thought my life was these lungs. No, that's not your life. If you're a believer, if you are in Christ, remember, that's the preface, right? If you are in Christ, Christ is now your life. Everybody understand, right? For this is already and not yet. For you have died, past tense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now he's talking about future, right? So here's what I want you to do. If it's already and not yet, right? You've been raised with Christ. You seek the things that are above. You're seated at the right hand of God. You set your mind on things above. You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's past. It's present. It's future. Now notice what it happens. Now here's the responsibility. Now here's, here's what you should do for those of you who are in Christ. Beginning in verse 5. Look again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. How many, how many times have you given God excuses for your sin? Uh, was it Eeyore? You guys know Winnie the Pooh? Uh, maybe it was Eeyore. I can't remember. I'm not up on my children's literature. Um, I am what I am. Is that who said that? Papa? Okay, see, I'm not up on my children's literature. I need to get up on my children's literature. This idea of I am what I am, I think that's an excuse for a lot of times we use that as, as church members, as churchgoers, as followers of Jesus Christ, as people that would say, we've accepted the cross, we've accepted Jesus' sacrifice. The problem is we haven't made him Lord of my, our life, right? The Lord of my life. And, and, and this discipleship thing, that's just a whole nother level, right? And we began to recognize that it's hard work becoming like Christ. It's not easy, right? And because it's hard work, we begin with all these excuses. Well, I just got a problem with my mouth, right? I, I cuss a little. I don't, but you know what I'm saying, right? Or I fill in the blank, right? And we rationalize our sin. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? There, there is no opportunity in Scripture for us to rationalize our sin. Wrong? Right? Right? There's no opportunity for us to rationalize our sin. Why would we end up with this attitude of Popeye that says, I am what I am? No, Paul says you've died. Paul says it's no longer you who lives, it's Christ who lives in you. Why would you be okay with your sin? Look at what he says in verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, and you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives this list, right? Just like he does in Galatians chapter 5. Sexual immorality. Well, I don't deal with that. Okay, maybe it's impurity. Passion. What are you passionate about? Evil desire. Covetousness, which is idolatry. 
I want you to understand, Paul is not picking people out and going, liar, cheat, etc., etc. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's giving you a list so that you're all, everybody's included in this list. Right? These things are things you need to do away with. These are the things you've got to get rid of. And in case you're not convinced, in verse 6 he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What is the wrath of God? I don't really know, but I don't want to be around when it happens. I mean, you read about the judgment, right? When God is not happy, guess what? Uh, it's not good, okay? And he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He goes on to say, in these two you once walked, right? We've mentioned Jeremiah before, saying, above all else, the heart is desperately wicked. We all have this tendency to follow the flesh. We all have this tendency to follow whatever it is that makes us happy, at least for a time being. And Satan, the enemy, always shows up, and I'm convinced that he knows your weakness, and he knows my weakness, and guess where you're tempted the most? Wherever it is you're weak. He's going to find your weak spot in your defenses, and that's exactly where he attacks. So Paul reminds us, in these two you once walked when you were living in them, right? But, there's that little word, right? It's not just if, but there's this... Word of contrast, but, verse 8, transition, but now, that's no longer possible. Now, now you can't do that. You must put them all away. Even if it's anger, if it's wrath, if it's malice, it's slander, it's obscene talk from your mouth, right? This is one of the things that I think is so important that when we're thinking about what Christ Jesus did for us, it's not just recognizing what happens on the cross, it's also recognizing how he exemplifies the way of life. And the way of life is the way of God. And the way of God is, I don't have these things going on in my life. Right? Instead, I have the other list. The peace. The patience. The joy. The love. Etc. Okay? So he says, seek things above, verse 1. Set your mind, verse 2. Put to death what is earthly, verse 5. Verse 9, he says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. Remember, you, that's past tense. You have put off. You put on the new self. This is an illustration that Paul says. You know, he, you go home and you get in your closet and you take off your clothes and you put on a new change of clothes. That's what Paul illustrates when he says, this is what happens when we come to meet Jesus Christ, right? We take off the old self, we put on, we put on the new self. And having put on this new self, verse 10, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. We go right back to Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Here there is no Greek, there is no Jew. No matter what you struggle with, circumcised or uncircumcised, we're all the same. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, all-encompassing, free. But listen, here's the key. But Christ is all and in all. You have no excuse. You can't say, I am what I am. No, you've died to self. You've been buried with Christ in baptism. And it doesn't stop there. You've been raised to walk in a newness of life. So here's my encouragement to you this, this morning, this week, uh, the next few days, however long God directs you to. Would you do this with me? Would you reflect on, on, on who you are? Would you reflect when you pray? Would you just listen to the Holy Spirit um, speak to you? and convict you of things that need to change in your life? Maybe it's anger. Um, 
Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's one of these things that Paul lists. Um, And would you be willing to go to God in prayer and allow Him to take those things away from you? There's nothing you can do in your own power. Can we get that straight? There's nothing you can do in your own power. There's nothing I can do in my own power. But by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me, for those of us in Christ Jesus, man, that's really, that really convincing some of you guys, right? You're really concerned with that. Um, for those of us in Christ Jesus, don't, don't get so focused on worldly things. Don't get so focused on these other things, right? Set your mind. Set your mind on things above, right? Seek things that are much greater than this place, right? And guess what? Everything changes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? For those of you who haven't met Jesus, for those of you who are convicted that you may not be in Christ, would you do me a favor? Can we have a conversation before you leave this place? I don't care how many times you've come to church or how you've served or whatever the case may be, whatever your testimony is, but I want to make sure you're in the right place before you leave here. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, that you love us despite who we are. And Father, we just, uh, I ask for my brothers and sisters that when we consider holiness, when we consider discipleship, when we consider the already that, that's been done for us, but the not yet, uh, when we get into these uh, heavy things of Scripture, Help us to understand as you would have us to understand. We're all at different places in our spiritual journey. I recognize that. And I pray that you would continue to be compassionate with us, gracious with us, merciful with us. But Father, where we need to change, where we need to, um, instead of just talk about it, but we need to put words into action, would you convince us of that as well? If there's someone here today, God, that doesn't know you, that uh, may be religious but doesn't uh, associate with Jesus, who maybe has received him as a Savior, but not Lord, I pray today is the day uh, of not just salvation, but making him the Lord of their life. And for those of us who've lost our first love, um, God, please forgive us and and allow us back into your family. Uh, We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.